Good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you again as a community. There will be other people preaching. So uh, this just happens to be... Is this for... Uh, I, I dig it. I'm, I'm going to use it. Um, we're going to continue where we, uh, from where we left off last time. Which is in Ephesians 1, 15 to 22. As Lee read, I'm going to read one particular verse that I want you to just focus on. I think with, with a lot of these verses, you could focus on a multitude of things to preach from. This is why you can come to the same text over a long period of time, like 10 years, return to the same text and preach it again. And it feels brand new to people. Because this is a living word, it's not a dead word. It's not just scripture on a page, it's a living word of God. We meet Jesus as we come to it. So I'm going to read this one verse, and then I'm going to actually ask you to just listen to a sequence of verse, verses that go throughout Ephesians. And I want to point out a common thread that comes through those verses. Because sometimes I think we, if we go verse by verse, we can miss the meta-themes that happen as we go throughout the whole epistle. So if you think of the epistle of Romans, right? Justification by faith. That's one theme. But if you get to chapter 5, you're going to be talking about participation in Christ and the new life that we have in Christ. And if you don't know the whole, and you're just looking at it piece by piece, you can miss stuff that happens earlier that you would see if you had the, the, the larger view. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so what I want to do is, we'll look at this passage, but I want to look at it through the lens of one topic that I think is thread through the whole Ephesians. And namely, that is the theme of works. Primarily the work of Christ, the work that Christ has accomplished for us, but also the work that he calls us to together as a church. And what I'm going to argue basically, or I think demonstrate in the scripture, is that the God who is powerfully at work in Jesus Christ is powerfully working in us through the church. He's working to accomplish something. And so listen to these verses as we go through, if you would, and I'll just pray as we go. Holy Spirit, be with us as we hear your word. That it wouldn't just be theological ideas and propositions, but that it would be an introduction to the person, Jesus Christ, and that all these ideas would lead us to him, and that we would find great joy in that. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's just, from the verse again. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and this is the verse Lee was focusing on, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now here's the verse I want to focus on, 18 and following. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, which are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, And here verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God the Father. The working of his great might that he worked in Christ Jesus. All right, hold that thought. And then come to Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10. I promise whoever's preaching from there, I'm not going to steal your sermon uh, for next week. But this is a meta theme, I see, of work here. Ephesians 10, you've all heard this verse, haven't For by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen. It is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works that he prepared in advance that we might walk in them. 
So you hear that? We start off in Ephesians 1 with God mightily worked in Jesus and powerfully worked in Jesus by rising him from the dead. And then we hear in Ephesians 2 that we're saved by Jesus' work and not by our own works for the purpose of doing good works. Which already, if you're a Protestant, gets you going, uh, good works. Because it's like helping you know, granny across the street and I'm going to earn my way to heaven or something like that. Doing good deeds and God's going to count them up. And that's not actually what Paul's talking about in this terms of this moralistic legalism sort of thing. Continue with me to Ephesians 4, verses 15 to 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way in Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow itself up in love. All right, so again, in Ephesians 1, we have God's mighty work raises Jesus from the dead. That's the basis of our salvation. That's where we place our hope. That is our hope, it says in Ephesians. And then you go to Ephesians 2, where Paul reminds us, look, it's not your work that saves you. It's the work of God. It's by your faith in Him and His grace to you. But He saves you for the purpose of doing these good works, which He has prepared in advance. So the question you should be asking is, what does He mean by these good works. So we're not saved by our own works, we're saved by Christ's works, for the good works. And then he says in Ephesians 4, which is I think where the theme culminates, that when we are working together, it's the same verb in Greek, right? And it's the word we get energy from, it means energized. And it's the same word in Galatians 5, 6 when it says, faith is working through love, right? So this is important. When we're working properly together as the body, God builds us up in love. And we come to know Christ in the fullness of the stature of Christ. And so what I want to argue is that same mighty power that Christ worked, that God worked in Christ, is at work in us when we, the church, together, work as the body. And what we actually do is not just, you know, do-gooder kind of works to show the world evidence that we're Christians. That's the way it's usually taken, right? It's like, Christians, yeah, we know you're Christians because you behave properly. You do nice things for other people. But is that really a compelling thing? I know a lot of Muslims who do wonderful things for people. It's not actually that hard to be nice to somebody, uh, to walk someone across the street to do these things, to give to a charity. Right? That's not something that's uniquely Christian. So what are these works that Paul's talking about? And I would argue, I think in Ephesians, we have to think of works not as works that we do to earn God's favor, but as the work that we do together to come together as a body of Christ to know God as love by loving each other. Right? And I think that's a theme that you only see across the whole of Ephesians. If you just look at verse uh, chapter 2, you're thinking, is the, are these good works that I do or that I don't do or that you know, I don't need to do or that are evidence? If you look at the whole thing, you see, actually, this is us coming together as the body to work as the body of Christ so that we build ourselves up in love. And now come back with me to Ephesians 1, and we're going we're to jump in here. Remember that prayer, and Lee, you were focusing on this when you were praying about Augustine. The prayer is that we would have a spiritual wisdom and revelation by means of the knowledge of Him. Right? And to know Christ, uh, we know, is to know His love, to be in the community of His love. 
really to, to know God in this sense. And I, I like what you're saying about Augustine there, and knowing Christ, and you're not just knowing an idea about him. What does it mean to know a person? Right? The Bible uses that word know to express a bunch of different things. But here, I think it really means to have a personal knowledge of Jesus. Not just to know ideas about Jesus, but to know him as he is, as the God of love. And really, the, the translation of this that I like the best is, may God give you a spirit of wisdom and of the apocalypse by means of the knowledge of him. That's like, kind of a, like, it sounds like, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> but, but, because we think of the apocalypse and we think of these, like, American, like, left-behind books where, like, things are exploding and people are floating through the air. And this is, like, Christians love this in the States. I had students who would argue with me to no end about, uh, you know, Maybe there's other ways to interpret that or whatever. Um, but I think that the love of God, the knowledge of God, is apocalyptic. That's what the word revelation means. It means it bursts in. We can't know it unless it's given to us. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is that the working that we do is based on the work that God has already done. We see that here. And just again, this verse. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe According to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. This is the resurrection power of God that is at work in us. This is the resurrection life of God that is at work in us. So when Paul gets to verse chapter 2, and he says to do the work that God prepared in advance for you to do, this isn't just some sort of moralism. This is the communal, ecclesial, community of God work of living together in love. And when you grow, as Ephesians 4 says, when you grow through working together as the body, you come to know what it means to love. And if you know what it means to love, you know the God who is love. And you become like the God who is love. But here's the genius of Ephesians. That kind of work can only happen when we're together. And this comes into what we were talking about last week. That it can never be about, I got saved by grace through faith, and everybody else is incidental to me. I'm glad you were saved. How fantastic. We're all part of the same Jesus club. It's that we were saved not as just individual persons. We are saved to be a part of a people. And you'll see in Ephesians 2, when we get into that, the whole second half of Ephesians 2 is Gentiles and Jews are now one in Christ. And that's a huge thing to say <coughs> in the ancient world when you're looking at people who could not even eat together. But people who, even in Galatians, they're arguing, Paul's arguing with Peter, should we even sit with, uh, Peter's arguing with Paul, I'm going to sit aside from the, from the uh, Gentiles because we're the Jews. And Paul goes up to Peter and says, hey man, we're all one in Christ, basically is what he says. This is a huge, huge thing. So the first thing is, God's work precedes any work that we do. But as Protestants, we're usually told, so therefore your works don't matter, all you need is faith and grace. Right? But what I think Ephesians shows is that faith and grace are how we're saved, faith in Christ's work, so that we can embody the gospel. It's not just about believing the gospel, it's about becoming the gospel. It's not just about adhering to ideas, it's about our whole being being transformed. And the way that Ephesians talks about that is quite literally only through each other. Yeah. That is a thing that your church, and maybe, maybe this is you know, news in our postmodern culture, in our culture of individualism, people do not want to hear, you need each other. They certainly don't want to hear, you need the church. And a lot of times they'll get really angry if you say, 
And what we do after we believe matters. Because God has not only saved us by Christ's works, but he's transforming us into his image through each other. Right? Because that, you, you think like, man, I make a lot of mistakes. I, there's a lot of stuff that I do that is imperfect. Is God going to reject me? Well, no, because the basis of God's acceptance of you, Ephesians will argue, is on Christ's work, what he's done. But it really is so that you can live a life where you're becoming like the God who is loved. Right? You know God, which is the purpose of Ephesians 1, 15-22. How do you know God? Through an apocalypse of love. That is through a community experience only. Now this makes sense. And what happens is, you know, when we come together and we know God as love as the church, the idea that Paul has is that we'd be transformed into his image. The problem we have, though, is have you tried things in your life when you said, if I just do this long enough and hard enough, I'll be good at it. Like, that's what works are, you know? So, like, maybe you wanted to uh, learn an instrument. Has anyone ever tried to learn an instrument? And then sometimes you try to learn an instrument that doesn't go so well, um, according to other people who are listening. Right? Maybe you think it sounds great, but it doesn't sound great to everyone else. Right? But you, you say, I mean, I worked really hard. I tried really hard. I wanted to be a great musician. I even spent three hours a day playing. And it didn't happen. Other times, you may have a natural proclivity for something, and you, you're studious at it, and you become a great gymnast, or you become a great, I don't know, you know, mathematician, or you become a great dentist. Or whatever. But there are things we do, all of us, that we try really hard at, and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. We work at it, but it doesn't work. I think the reason is there's a difference between that and the work that we're called to as Christians. The work that we're called to do as a church is not contingent on our power, on our might, on our wisdom. It is based upon the wisdom, might, and power of God. But he does call us to work. But here's the difference between the person who works really, really hard at becoming a star tennis player and just doesn't work, and every Christian who ever existed. No matter what you do, even when you try and you don't become a star tennis player, that's it. It's futility. It's failure. We can call out a bunch of other different things, but you just didn't cut it to be a tennis player. And we can, you know, sugarcoat that and make it nicer, but you tried to be a tennis player, it didn't work out for you. I don't know why you want to play tennis in the first place, but <laughs> you wanted to play tennis, it didn't work. Even our failures within our working together as a community of Christians are not failures. They're not futile in Christ. Those are mechanisms to experience love and to grow in the community. There's a place for failure within the Christian life uh, that doesn't sink the ship because the, the ship is afloat because of God's energy and power, not because of our energy and power. I remember that for me it was, has anyone here ever played soccer? Like for, on a soccer team? Is that a big sport in this country? It is in the UK. In America, it's a, big, it's a big sport. I find it, I don't like any sports. So I know there's something, there's cricket here and there's other games and, and all these, but I'll have to learn some of these things. But um, in the States, a lot of people who don't play American football will play soccer. And so I really wanted to be a great soccer player when I was 10 years old. And I remember that I, would, I, my, I signed up, I was on the soccer team, I was number three, my jersey was number three. And I was just set up to be the greatest soccer player, but I was always so distracted by everything in life. Um, that I would get onto the field, and we have videos like of my dad video, videoing me 
on the field, and I, this scrawny little kid, and I would be staring out into space. <laughs> I was just staring out into space, and it was just this whole team, like everything was happening, everyone was like, and I was just like, staring out into space. But I had this idea that I was going to be the best soccer player in Saugus, Massachusetts, which is a town that nobody has ever heard of. Um, and I remember this one particular day when I was, and this is, it's a strange story, but it's true. Um, I was standing on the field, and I remember what I was daydreaming about. I was thinking, I hope my mom makes spaghetti <laughs> and the meatballs and all the other and maybe maybe like different bread, not just tip top bakery bread, but maybe the bread from the French delicatessen. And I'm thinking all these things about and then all of a sudden the ball comes to me and it's like, you know when you're not listening like during a sermon or during a lecture, uh, and all of a sudden, boom, you wake up, the ball is there. And this is my moment to shine right here. To show everybody that I'm going to be the best soccer player ever. That all that practice has paid off. And so I take the ball. You know, I probably, you know, headbutted it for no reason. I take it all the way down and people are going, ah! And I'm thinking, man, this is great. I get all the way to the goal. Boom, I do one of those. And the ball just flew in. Goal. Everyone's screaming. Right? Then I saw Nathan. And I was like, why is he in the goal? <laughs> and I saw Nathan. And I thought, oh, what have I done? <laughs> I had taken the ball all the way to my own net and scored a goal against my own team. <laughs> and I still didn't give up on soccer. I played all the way to junior varsity and varsity. And I can tell you that as hard as I tried at soccer, I utterly failed. <laughs> I'm a failure when it comes to soccer. There's other things that I've tried and I've been better at. But soccer, I was a failure at. Right? And by the way, my mother did not make spaghetti that night. <laughs> so it was just a terrible day for me. <laughs> Pasta would have softened the blow. Something like meatloaf or something disgusting. Um, so, the whole point of that is to say, like, if that's how the Christian life is, we have no hope. Right? We have no hope. Because there's this futility to our own hearts even when we try hard. Like, maybe it'll work out, maybe it won't. You have no guarantee that it will work with anything you do in life. But what I find here is that Paul, through Ephesians, is saying, I'm calling you to work together. To be built up as a body of Christ, where all the parts are working properly. And that is a culture that accommodates imperfection, that transforms imperfection into, and even suffering, into character, Paul says in Romans 5. He says, suffering leads to character, which leads to hope. How does that work? Because when you come together in a community of people who are working together as joints and ligaments, who refuse to be torn apart, and whose energy, whose battery, whose foundation, whose power is God, even those failures turn into a transformative moment. When someone looks into your face when you're suffering and is Jesus to you, and when you can be Jesus to another human being, you see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ through someone else. And that is why we must be zealous for the church. We say we've got the conservative church and the progressive church. We've got the church that likes this politics or the church that likes that politics. All that is 
to the side. What needs to be in the center is Jesus Christ in His power and might, which Paul says here literally is a resurrection power of God. That that is the power that empowers Ephesians 2 works, which don't save you. Thank God, Jesus' work saved us. But that Paul creates in us so that we can come together, even in our differences. And so as we think today about what that means for us as a community here at Trinity, I think we're not the church again. Uh, we are, some, some of us belong to the same churches, we all belong to different congregations. What does that mean for us as a community? It means that we have to, again, continue to be knit together in love. That even when we disagree, there is a sense of, I won't turn my back on you. I'm for you. And even when I cannot stand you, right, it is the power of God that will keep us together alone. It is the might and power of God. And that he's calling us to work together to grow up into the fullness of the stature of Christ who is the head of the church. And this is tricky, tricky business. It is exceedingly difficult. Indeed, it is impossible. But it is only possible because of the might of Jesus Christ and his power and his work as it works itself out among us as we work together as the body of Christ. Right? If, if, if it's all on us, we have no hope. We have no hope. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the problems with the church. We put the politics of the church sometimes mm-hmm. instead of the power of God in the church. We put our own progress next to each other outside of the power of God that we have together. Mm-hmm. And if we don't have each other, Paul would, and he doesn't say this literally, but I think we could, we could say we don't have anything. And there's a real sense that we miss the fullness of what God means for us as the church if we relegate that to a vestige of Christendom, to a thing of the past. What really matters is a personal relationship with me and Jesus. That's easy. It's harder to love people who from a human perspective seem unlovable to you, right? Who seem unlovely. That is precisely what we're called to do and that's precisely who you are to each other. And in that we become like God who is love. Paul says, I hope that you have the spiritual wisdom and apocalypse of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. How do you know another person? Well, you can give a big list of ideas, right? And say, here's who John is. Here's a list of ideas. Go forth and love and serve the Lord. <laughs> For those of you who are in a relationship, how do you know your spouse? Well, you could send me a list of things about your spouse. I don't know them. I know some stuff about them. How do we know Christ? We know Him personally. And how do we know Him? Through each other. That's what Ephesians is saying. And so I don't want to say you can't know God apart from other human beings. You know God through His Word. But you're meant to know God ecclesially, congregationally, as you're built up to be His body. I want to leave you with one thing. So there's so much I could preach here. Um, that I, I just want to leave you with one thing. He has put all things under his feet and given him as the head over all things to the church, this is where the verse ends, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's his church that is the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I think our theo- my theology of the church was so low coming out of seminary that I thought like, I want to go into a church and tell people about Jesus. I just want to preach. I don't want to do 
counseling, deal with human beings, <laughs> all sorts of other stuff. Go to their house. What kind of weird food will they make me? Maybe I won't like it. Maybe I will. These guys are laughing because they see that whenever I go out to dinner with them, I order potatoes and chicken. <laughs> Chicken's a development. Chicken's a development. Uh, or pizza. The heavenly food. I believe that's what God meant by manna in the wilderness. <laughs> so you can't save it for the morning. It's going to rot. You've got to eat it all. Um, so what I wanted to say is, yeah, the church... That view of the church, I never had until I really got deeply into Paul. And then I was horrified. I was like, so you're telling me that I actually need other people. <laughs> I was like, it was much easier when it was just me studying my Greek Bible and thinking, how profound are the ways of the Lord. <laughs> now you're telling me that I need to be around other people. And what if they're theologically wrong? And what if we hold different ideas? And what if we like different kinds of music? <laughs> I'm not going to sing. Uh, <laughs> um, you have to listen to last week for that. Uh, but, you know, all of those things matter, but none of those things are central. What matters is that the might of God's power, of his work in Jesus Christ, has saved you, full stop. And that it is for the purpose of that working together that we grow in Christ. If you only have one, it's like, it's like remaining a toddler. Right, has, has anyone here dealt with toddlers? <laughs> right? I've got a two-year-old daughter who is crazy. She's, go, she's good, by the way. She was sick last week. She's recovered. Yeah. But she's in that phase where she's just immature. You cannot reason with a toddler. And I feel like sometimes that's how we are in the church. We act like spiritual toddlers. Right? We're barely beyond spiritual milk. And we're these individual little toddlers. You say to my daughter, do you want pancakes? She goes, I want pancakes. You say, here's a pancake. She goes, I don't want pancakes. <laughs> you take the pancakes, and I said, I thought you wanted the pancakes. Here's the pancakes. She said, I don't want them. I want them. I want them. <laughs> and, and so, and then, of course, she doesn't eat the pancakes, so you, you eat them. <laughs> but um, I, I think this problem in the church where we, we're, we settle for spiritual toddlers, where we're, these in, we're like, look, it's just me, 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 me. When Paul is saying, the work of Christ calls you to the work of ministry together as his body. That's it right there. And look, you could preach Ephesians 1 in many different ways. But what I'm just trying to do is say, here's a meta-theme across the book. Works of God, works of humans. It's not moralism. It's togetherness. It's growth as a body. And I would just leave you with this one other image from Colossians. It says that you're joined together as joints and ligaments in Colossians in a similar passage. Do we think of our relationship to each other in the church as that? Or are we just limbs together, right? That's how we were thinking of it last week. It makes no sense to say, I'm happy with just an arm, you know? Or just a fingernail will do. No, it's, it's the body working together properly that causes us to know Jesus Christ. Just like in a marriage, you learn the other person through time. Just like you know your children. You know everything that about them that nobody else would know just know them in a deep way how do you know Christ like that only through the working of God's might as we work that out what Philippians says work out your salvation in fear and trembling for it is God who works in you to will and work for his good pleasure in Colossians it says that we might be found perfect in Christ and Paul says I tried so hard through all the energy that God provides 
So whatever work is in a Christian life, it's not moralism, it's not antithetical to the gospel. It's the way that the work of Jesus works itself out among us as a community. And when we have the power of the resurrection as our lifeblood, we will never be defeated. We've already won the victory. But we've got to see that come to fruition, and for that we need each other. And so I think that that's where I want to end with that. Um, and let me just pray for us um, that we'll continue to learn together and grow together as a community. Lord, thanks for Jesus, your son, and thanks for each one here. And I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing from my brothers and sisters this semester about you and to learning together as um, a community who you are more deeply, uh, as lecturers and people taking classes, as people in, in the ministry, and as moms and dads, sisters and brothers, and members of families. I pray that the deep, powerful love of God would reveal to us more of who you are, as we know each other in all the complexity the community brings, that we might refuse the ways of the world that say division and divisiveness and politics and prestige and the will to power is our mode of being, but that we would instead adopt the way of the cross and that through developing a desire for each other, we become more like the God who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing for the sake of the other. My prayer is that that would be our mind today. It would be the mind of the Uniting Church across this land, and it would be the mind of your body across all denominations, that we might be seen to be the people who say, because of Jesus, love is transforming the world, is transforming us, and that all things are made new in him. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.